Hello, everybody. Welcome back to, I almost said Rings and Realms. This is not actually Rings and Realms. This is Other Minds and Hands. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. Too many things. Too many things. Exactly. Excited to talk about Rings and Realms and answer any questions folks have uh, that have been lingering after watching Rings and Realms this past week. Um, Man, this past week's Rings and Realms was really fun. Uh, it was really fun to do. Yeah. Not not only was it fun to kind of plan and, and sort of talk through and, and stuff, but uh, because of circumstances at the studio, we had to do all the filming like right away. We had to do, we had to film the entire show the next day, basically. So Friday evening uh, after the show dropped on Thursday evening, um, we, we did it. So we had the entire, uh, all of my stuff, all the stuff in the studio. Uh, recorded and done uh, by the end of by like uh, about 26 hours after the the episode dropped uh, essentially. And did, did you sleep at all in that chunk, or was it? Just- uh, I, I I got a few hours in the middle of that <laughs> chunk. Yeah, yeah, not too many hours, but a few. Uh, and uh, it was uh, it was it was really fun. Um, but uh, but so one of the things that that meant is that you know usually in our in our production uh, uh, you know sort of process. You know, we're able to kind of give the. I'm able to give the discussion points that we want to hit, and then a lot of the, you know, the 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 effect stuff, like the, you know, the setup of the stuff on the wall behind me, they're able to kind of work through and plan and do that. But we had to do all of that stuff sort of on the fly together while I was sitting there. Uh, so it was a long session, uh, but it was uh, it was it was it was a lot of fun, uh, and. Um, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, Pixel Rips was saying I like to echo everyone's enjoyment of seeing the Numenorean Harbor through the back window. Man, that was one of those things that like that we came best. up with spontaneously, like during the session. They they were kind of tinkering with the digital library behind me, uh, and uh, then at one point Ben's like, "We should put something outside the window," and and uh, uh, and you know Ian was like, "I know," and so we put that up there, and like as soon as I saw that with a camera pan and like you could actually see like the 3D effect of it outside the window man it was awesome yeah. they, and and they matched the lighting so that the lighting from the you know like the sunlight out there in the harbor um oh man uh, <clears throat> yeah yeah so um so yes in case you're wondering you should indeed always be looking out that window because uh there we're almost certain to do other uh scenes and other effects uh moving forward so uh that was I love uh, that you, no. you didn't point it out and just like the amount of people that clocked on to it. The, <laughs> the response to this week's episode has just been lovely yeah. like really positive and so much conversation um, but I really like it when you could see that click. People are like, "Wait, is that?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was really cool. That was, that was so much fun. And so there, you know, there are other Druid, things that we're talking about doing. And and Druid's fire here. I also just answered a question on Twitter about this. So we're seeing the standard choreism of uh, creeping up longer and longer episodes. <laughs> we all knew that was going to happen. And I think somebody on Twitter was like, oh, Maggie must have thrown her hands up in exhaustion. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I was told to do five minutes and I have done less than, I haven't done less than 20 minutes. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, we can't. It's, it's just too good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. No, exactly. <laughs> there's, there's, and it really is a wonderful, wonderful problem to have in that there really is so much to talk about in every episode. And it's, it's, um, so yeah, I, I've, that, that's been, um, uh, yeah, problem I have, uh, I have been delighted to have. 
Lilabelle is asking, um, is no, it's not a green screen. So what I'm in front of is actually uh, a, a digital wall. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an LED wall that is. I don't even know if it's LED. Actually, I think it is. It but is um, yeah. anyway, so yeah, it's it's like 14 feet high and 50 feet across. It's a curved digital wall. Um, and there's all kinds of 3D tracking stuff they can do with it. It's, ba it's essentially it's the same technology. It's exactly the same technology they use to film the Mandalorian um, uh, with like 3D motion tracking and stuff like that. So um, what we've done is like such like a tiny scratching of the surface of what's capable, what what that system is capable of. Um, and we're definitely like hoping to kind of play with some other things. Uh, it's hard both because the turnaround, I mean, it's kind of brutal, uh, you know, get, getting all these uh, episodes out and make sure, you know, they're in time for the next week with time for editing and stuff like that. Um, but in addition, I mean, this is all, it's, it's, it's all volunteer. Like the people involved in this project are every one of us volunteering, um, including all the tech guys and everything. They're, they're just doing this because they're having a great time doing it. Um, and so but it's even a, all the volunteers and everything, like everybody's such a geek about this, that they've yeah. been shooting behind the scenes footage as well, that we will yes. release at some point in an organized way. So you guys yeah. can actually see the screen because it's just incredible. And like the way that it's shot, you know, as it tracks, the background moves around us. So it looks static and 3D when you look at a screen on YouTube, but the actual tracking is moving all the time behind us. So like, I couldn't turn around because it made me kind of dizzy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's really cool. And like the, the uh, files that they get to do that are all kind of digitally rendered stuff. So, you know, we're trying to see what other things we might be able to throw up there that we can, you know, put ourselves into Middle Earth or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there Very are some cool. things we can do. So like when I'm doing my... Um, of the Rings of Power in the Second Age segment, and there's like the the stills and things that are rotating behind me on the wall. Those are just those are just two D stills. Like those, you know, those that's just images. yeah. Those the, those are just images. Um, whereas like the library scene with you know uh, Arminolas out the window, um, that's a that's a three D environment, um, which we're able to do a whole lot more with. And so um, yeah, man, if we could get a hold of like some three D renderings of the actual shots. Oh man, yeah. like there's so much we could do. We actually could have me like walking through wow. like the streets there in Numenor uh, talking about stuff. Um, well, we've made the request, so we'll yeah, see what yeah, happens. we're we're but, uh, trying to we're trying to yeah. tr tr trying to make that happen, but uh, we'll see we'll see how much we can get. But um, uh, man, anyway, it's 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 gonna be. Uh, I, I'm 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 still looking forward to. You know, continuing to add wrinkles and see what we can do. But yeah, no, like in theory, I could like reach out and interact with objects, with three D digital objects. Like we could um, pick up Gladriel's dagger and like turn it around and like rotate and talk it. About yeah, it exactly. Style, no, we you know, can. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the. I also want to do like a zoom into the Palantir, and as you zoom out, I'm there. So that's my zoom. Yeah, in. yeah, that's one of the things that we're working <laughs> on. They're, they're actually they have some ideas for how we can how we can actually bring Maggie in. Um, uh, we're experimenting with some stuff, which if we do it, actually, I think would be like uh, potentially some like first time stuff that uh, we're, we're, we're actually working on trying to do some things that no one's ever done before, uh, which would be which would be really awesome. Which would uh, be really ridiculous and wonderful. Ridiculous yeah, and wonderful. Trying. Yeah. So we'll we'll Sounds we'll see. Like it. So yeah, we're trying to trying to get the you know the the we haven't quite finished working on the Palantir, but we'll uh, we'll get there. We'll see how we do. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. Um, all right, uh, let's um, let's. So we've got some 
Yeah, today we got some. Oh, so first of all, we want to start by making a fun yeah, announcement. Um, so we're going to be doing on Friday afternoon. We're going to be doing our Twitter reaction show. So of course, as hopefully most of you know by now, so this show, uh, Other Minds and Hands, is like the end of the week, right? Uh, as we are sort of finishing up discussion of episode three and then getting ready to you know prepping ourselves for launching into episode four this evening, and um, or tomorrow morning in Maggie's case <laughs> over in over in yeah, the UK. Yeah, I'll be waking up real early for that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I'll be up late, so we'll be there. Uh, but anyway, so here's um, here's the here's the, the the so so. But our first show of the week, right? The initial thing that we do after the episode drops is our Friday morning reaction show. This is at noon Eastern time, nine a.m. Um, uh, time on the West Coast. 5 p.m., a much more civilized hour of 5 p.m. Uh, over there in the U.K. Um, so this is the, the audio show that we do on Twitter Spaces. Last week, we had a really wonderful conversation uh, with Leith McPherson. I hope uh, you guys got a chance to listen to that. My favorite thing. Maggie, how cool was it? Um, her pointing out like, like which bit? It was so I know which bit, right? But like my favorite bit was the talking about the the political ramifications of the difference in the pronunciation of the word Numenor between how Galadriel right. says it and how Farazan says it. Uh, yeah. So awesome! And this is, it's one thing like I don't know. I've said this many times, but I keep like people are so quick to assume that like a variation that they see must be an error, right? Like, you know, like, like when they, when, they'll they say things like, oh, man, did you hear that? Like, you know, that character no pronounced the name wrong. wrong. Yeah, exactly. They have no idea what they're doing. And it's like, no, no, actually, they did that because they do know what they're yeah. doing. Right. You know, and they're actually trying to do not only characterization of characters, um, but even th- doing some really consistent world building and say, given the like linguistic and political background of this character, how would this character pronounce that name? Um, uh, so I think that that's um, it, it was brilliant. And so cool. Her enthusiasm was pure and genuine. Like yes, we were supposed to have her for ten minutes, and we apologized afterwards. And she's like, "Oh my god, it was wonderful. I wanted to stay." And <laughs> she's like already talking about when she can come back and we can keep doing this. So yeah. there will be. Yeah, we're hoping to have her back with us on other minds and hands, so that we can have uh, uh, we can have a a, a longer uh, a, a longer conversation filled with even more squeals of delight. So um, yeah, and you can always catch the Twitter spaces after too. Uh, Corey puts it on his Twitter and, and shares the recording and then I retweet it. So, you know, you can always find the recordings there if you can't come live. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, so this week, uh, after episode four, we are going to be joined by another by another special guest. Uh, we're going to be joined by cast member Cynthia Adai Robin, uh, Robinson, uh, the woman who plays Queen uh, Queen Regent Muriel. Um, uh, so yeah, that's going to be really really cool. So my first question to you guys is, what? What should we ask? Are there things that you guys would really want to hear us talk about uh, with uh, with with Muriel? Would we love to hear. Uh, I mean, of course, there's. You know, I don't know. It's hard because for me, the hardest thing is having conversations like just right now. Like there's so many things that I want to talk about, about, but like we're only at the very, very in the show. We're only at the very, very beginning of her arc uh, and the whole Numenor story. Um, I mean, we've had exactly one episode of the Numenor story so far. We will have had two by then. Right. But um, um, yeah. So Amenmoto, I can already tell you why she doesn't have Tar in front of her name. That's because her father's still alive. Like Tar Palantir is still king. That's why she's queen regent. um, But she's not... um, 
she's not yet queen because her father's still alive. Uh, but um, yes, see, so Stephen Ritter, this is exactly the kind of question that I'd love to ask her, but we, we, we can't ask her for spoilers. Like she's not going to answer no. spoiler questions. So we can't ask her, is she one of the faithful? I can tell you what I think, uh, but, uh, but which is yes. Um, but we can't, uh, yeah, we can't, we can't ask spoiler questions. Um, we, um, uh, but yeah, so this is, this is what it's, 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 it's actually, it's always really tricky uh, to have these kinds of conversations. No, and we also don't know what we're coming into. Like, I don't know how much Tolkien lore she's familiar with. So I feel right. like we'd start with that, right? Like, yeah. what's our level and, you know, what's your purpose? It's kind of like an awkward first date of Tolkien geeks, right? Right. <laughs> Right. We just get a few minutes to be like, hey. Yeah, exactly. And I did get a chance to like talk to her briefly at uh, San Diego when I was there, but it was it was it was uh, it was one of the sort of brief exchange Whirlwind. exchanges that I had there. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. She was uh, she was like diagonal from me uh, at lunch at one point. Um, and uh, Alan Sisto was totally hogging her. Uh, <laughs> It's okay. I, I was. I was. T- it was at the time I was talking with Daniel Wyman, the who plays the stranger. So that was a really fun conversation too. Oh man, Alan. Oh. Alan Wiles asks, "Is she looking forward to her death scene?" I totally asked her that <laughs> in San Diego. No, I told her how much I'm looking forward to her death scene. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, of course, we can't. She's not going to comment on something. It's not going to happen for like three yeah. seasons or something. Um, but. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, keep those questions coming and just ideas and thoughts because we'll read through everything and, and keep it in mind. But we also want to make sure we cover some stuff because this is like our end of discussing discussing episode three. And you guys saw Rings and Realms, I assume. Like, there's still so much stuff that yeah. we didn't even get to touch on. Yeah. But like, we've got a little list we can start going through, but definitely want to, you know, engage with you guys and whatever questions or comments or concerns and all that good stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's funny. Dime says that Alan Sisto said that I was hogging the actors. Yeah, I'm sure we both felt that way. <laughs> Dime, I also agree with you. The outfits. Oh my god, I'm so distracted by the costuming. Oh man, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. No, I actually, uh, I, I love Muriel's costume. So Muriel's costume, the the one with the like scales and everything yeah. on the front, was that they had that in San Diego. So I got to, I got to, I got to see that in San Diego. Man, like the, um, the individual. Uh, like scales on the you know the sort of breastplate thing that she's wearing, um, they're 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 translucent. They're like uh, like mother of pearl Ooh. or something. Um, it's just it's gorgeous. It's really really gorgeous. Um, yeah yeah um, yeah. Oh man, the Witch King. I love the coral crown too. People are saying like it's like tree branches, and I'm like no. Yeah, it's, I, I, cool. it's coral. Like it's clearly yeah. this is a this is a this is a this is a sea thing, right? Yeah. No, I love that too. Um, absolutely loved that. Um, and by the way, this is one interesting thing. I think that. Um, <laughs> Not to give the trolls fuel, um, but one of the things I expected uh, people, but I guess this is just sort of like you can't give trolls too much credit for actually being familiar with Tolkien. One of the things that I was expecting um, to hear purists sort of uh, reacting to this week was the fact that she had a crown at all. Right, and then of course the power in Numenor, the symbol of power in Numenor was the scepter, not the crown. Like the the kings of Numenor didn't have crowns, um, according to Tolkien. So I kept, I kept um, uh, uh, waiting 
for people to kind of blow up about that. Um, but I loved that. So like a little deep dive, little, little brief, this is one of those deep dives I didn't get a chance to do. Um, the fact that she, A, has a crown and B, has a coral crown, right, um, was really, really suggestive to me. Like I, it is, I think that that is like the crown, like the new Numenorean political situation, right? Like it's clear that the, so the idea that there is a crown associated with like the new culture of Numenorean kings um, seemed to me really appropriate, um, seemed to me uh, to fit really well. Like it's good that it deviates from the, remember it's the Numenorean traditions that Elendil is trying to keep alive in Middle-earth that we chiefly remember, right? Um, and so the idea that, like, the faithful kings used a scepter, but the later kings used a crown, and specifically, it's a sea crown, and Medagot exactly, that sort of sea worship reference, references that we yeah. got. It was a deep, it's clearly a deep part of that new Numenorean culture that they're, I guess, trying to replace, like, the reverence for the Valar with this sort of almost like disembodied reverence for the sea. People saying like, oh, they're worshiping Olmo. No, Olmo's one of the Valar who's made the bands. They're not, they're not in truck with Olmo. Um, I think that they're like personifying the sea in like these new and sort of different ways as this, it seems to be almost like um, like a, an official political cult, essentially, of the rulers. Yeah, and the way you were saying like how they're chanting the sea is always right and how that becomes like their mantra. Yes. It feels like a totalitarian government, right? But the sea is the despot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that made total sense when you said it. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, so I loved that as a kind of, um, in as like it, it, it struck me as a deliberate deviation from what we learn through the faithful line, right, uh, about Numenorean culture, as an indication, as like one other way in which they're, you know, a, a very subtle way uh, in which they're sort of really losing their way, and it was especially evocative to me. Because um, there was an irony to it. Um, when you look at the statue of Uinen in the prison that I was talking about in the show, um, she has like seaweed in her hair, which is very, it's not identical to the coral crown of Muriel, but it's, but, but it's like in the same place, right? Um, so you can see there's like, even in this new, like they're, 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 they're taking some of the old ideas and, and sort of twisting them. Like just as they, they used to revere Uinen and now they've taken it and they've made the sea masculine instead of feminine and they've, you know, twisted it into this sort of uh, totalitarian state religion, right? Mm. Instead of... Which um, you hear about when there's religious takeovers, right? They keep a lot of the iconography. They yeah. keep a lot of the elements yeah. to make the transition easier. Which, yeah. I mean, my whole frame of reference for that is the Da Vinci Code, so I'm no expert <laughs> on that field, but, you know. Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's th exactly, that's, that is that is just the kind of thing that you would expect. You would not expect a total departure, as in, indeed we don't. Like, the reverence for the sea and the reverence for Uinen in particular is a, a major part of Numenorean culture, um, the traditional faithful Numenorean culture, that they would take that and not just abandon it, right, and be like, actually we're an island nation that no longer cares about the ocean. Like that would be ridiculous, but instead to, 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 to sort of take and to pervert that. Um, I think that that's really, uh, I, I, I think that's really fun. So anyway, um, uh, but yeah, so the coral crown I thought was a really fun, um, a really fun, uh, uh, a really clever and thoughtful sort of deviation. Again, I was surprised. I was surprised. Nobody was like, 
I didn't see. I haven't seen anybody jumping up and down and yelling about that. They got that wrong. Numenorians aren't right. supposed to have crowns. Um, but uh, anyway, no. So um, you like is asking, is that sword Elendil received from Tarmuriel Narsal? No, no, definitely not. And there are two reasons uh, to say this. One, um, it looks nothing like Narsal. Now I know it's like, it's like, well, what do you mean it looks nothing like Narsal? This doesn't have to be consistent with the Peter Jackson universe, except there's a bunch of ways in which they are trying for some continuity there. It's not going to be total continuity. Um, but I actually, but here's the reason I think they are going to be, um, that Narsal is going to look like Peter Jackson's Narsal. Um, you can see it. One of the statues, if you look, go back to the episode, look for the um, the shot of the palace in Armenoas, the one with the big spit with the waterfall coming down on the end, like the the protrusion at the top of Minas Tirith, right? That w- looks so reminiscent of the, the protrusion at the top of Minas Tirith, the one that Denethor in the movie jumps off the tip of, right? Um, and instead, in that spot, there's a waterfall in, uh, in Armenoas. If you go to the establishing shot of that as it's zooming in, I think when Hal, Brand, and Galadriel are arriving, uh, but I'm not 100% sure, um, you can see one of the two statues, the statue on the on stage right, on the left-hand side of the screen, but on stage right of that thing, is holding Narsal. You can see the hilt of like Peter Jackson's Narsal in that, the hands of that statue. Um, uh, that was really cool actually um it was ben that noticed that uh when he he was going through and taking shots and he's like look it's narsal um so narsal is definitely around but that is not it um and this confirms i lloyd owen said several times that that was not narsal because that that the sword that muriel hands him is the sword that was in his hands picture um, uh, Elendil's hands picture uh, from the posters that were released back in January. Um, and he said at the time, like, that's not Narsil. Um, it's not Narsil that he's holding. Um, uh, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a whole different, a whole different thing uh, there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. I heard the biggest sword bit uh, in <laughs> In, in the Nerd of the Rings He didn't interview. say that by accident. No, and he did not. That was, that was not a slip. Sure. <laughs> yes. That was great. And the way he said it, uh, yeah, he's got a real stage presence. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a, that was a, that was a, that was a really, a really fun interview. I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to, we're certainly, we're hoping to, uh, uh, to get, uh, I'd, we'd, I'd love to get Lloyd here on this show. We're going to see what we can do. Uh, he would be wonderful to talk to. But it's been so fun to see all these people, you know, throughout the Tolkien community engaging in different conversations. And I thought Matt did a great job chatting with him. Oh, and yeah. just, oh it was great. Yeah. 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 No. And I am, I am, it's, it's I'm trying to be biased by the fact that before I saw it, I met Lloyd Owen and, and found him just completely delightful and uh, so marvelously engaged with Tolkien's work. I mean, I, you know, I met Lloyd Owen and within the first five minutes, we were talking about the Notion Club papers and the Book of Lost Tales to like talk about well, the I history mean, of the Lendl's character. Well, I mean, he named dropped you twice in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we had lots of really great conversations. It was great. It was great. No, and he was the one. It was so funny. Like in San Diego, he was the one. It was just like we kept running into each other. I literally ran into him uh, three uh, rant times randomly, like once on the street, once, twice in the convention hall, uh, like just crossed paths with him. Um, yeah. Oh man. And Davin, he has, 
such a great voice. Uh, <laughs> it's like he has my favorite voice, just like pure voice on the yeah, entire cast. Really, like two minutes into that interview, and I was just like, "Read me the phone book." Yeah, that's oh, fine. absolutely, absolutely. Read every book, audio book that you possibly can, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very plummy indeed. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, <clears throat> I, 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 blood ill tempered. No, he's not. In fact, eight feet tall. Um, uh, he's not in fact eight feet tall. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's um, uh, it was, it was. Uh, uh, no, it is delightful to hear him talk. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I would, um, um, I. I would also love to um, uh, talk with him about. I, I would love to hear him like read every audiobook I own. But um, anyway, <laughs> it's all good. Um, anyway, so yeah, so um, other um, other other questions about um, uh, other other things that we would. So let's think more about like what we would ask Cynthia. At I Robinson, I think that we can talk about the sort of the initial political situation at Numenor mm. a little bit. Um, um, you know, we can talk about her sort of experience in those scenes. Certainly, I don't know how much more we're going to get in Numenor in Episode Four. I mean, I was getting the impression Episode Four is going to be like a meanwhile in Linden, uh, you know, episode. I mean, there's primarily. so many things at play. I think they're going to have to bounce yeah. back and forth a bit. It was one of and, and Maggie. I wouldn't again get a chance to talk to you about this uh, yet, really. Um, but um, but I was I was wondering what you thought about that because I know that you know in the when we saw episodes one and two. Um, you know, we were kind of talking about the pacing, how it like kept bopping around, you know, if episode one, especially was very pilot ish, right. You know, kind of trying to introduce every single plot line and it was really hard to, uh, it was, it was kind of bewildering in some places uh, and in some ways, um, I myself was kind of encouraged to see like that. We never saw Elrond, you know, that we never saw, like there's a whole bunch, you know, that we, we never went back to Casa Doom it, that it really focused on like three different plot lines in episode three. And then mm-hmm. I knew that that would mean we'd swap and probably do some of the other ones in episode four. Did you like how that, how that happened? How that focus? I mean, I personally really did because there's just so much to cover that I was really glad to spend a little bit more time with the ones that we were with because that's the bit I think I was really struggling with with episode one and two, that there was just so much foundation to lay that I didn't feel any personal connection to anybody except Durin and Elrond. Mm-hmm. And that was just because they made me cry twice. So I really enjoyed it with this, that we got to dig in deep, get to know a bit of the history of the politics, but it just felt a little more engaging. Yeah. So, And I, I also remember this when I was reading Lord of the Rings trilogy, that, which I know is not a trilogy, but Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> I, I felt that way because I always wanted to go back to Sam and Frodo. I enjoyed the other bits, but I always wanted to go back to Sam and Frodo. So I feel like they're going to try to structure it similarly, like the books that we're going to spend some time with these guys and then move back to these guys. And I think that's a nice way for us to engage episode by episode too, because that was my thing with Game of Thrones, that it's just too many people. It took a very long time to keep everything straight. So unless you're willing to commit to that, which obviously many millions are, but it's nice to not have to make family trees and charts for every episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I thought that that was really good. Um, oh, um, Jake was just asking, does, uh, nobody kneels in Numenor. Does that have a textual basis? Uh, well, no, not, not specifically. Um, but I liked it. Um, that sense of, uh, we are, we've abandoned 
traditional hierarchies, right? I mean, the whole point is they don't want to kneel before the Valar, right? Um, and it's interesting that the way that they've, the way that they, and by they, I mean, like the, um, the controlling faction, right? Um, what in, what Tolkien calls the King's Men, right? Though at this point, during Tar Palantir's reign, they're no longer the King's Men, right? They're the, um, uh, the cultural mainstream formerly known as the King's Men, uh, at that point. Uh, but anyway, that, that the show is depicting that group not as saying, let's replace the old hierarchy just with a new hierarchy, right? Let's, instead of worshiping the Valar, let's put our own kings in their place or something. That's a really radical step to take at the beginning. But it's very logical to say, no, 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 let's abandon these tradition, this traditional reverence and these traditional hierarchies um, and allegiances and instead replace it with total egalitarianism, right? Um, we're the Republic of Numenor now. Right. And uh, and we um, in Numenor, nobody bows to anybody, which means by extension, Numenor bows to no one. Right. Um, that's a really, really smart. I think that just thinking through the political process there, you can easily see because it's happened many, many times in the course of human history, how you start there and you end up with a dictatorship. Right. How you start with the French Revolution and you end up with Napoleon. Right. Um, yeah. And I like Lily Bell's comment here where we see Farazhan force people to bow to him, though. I mean, we don't know, but that's a really good device. If you've got somebody saying nobody bows and then you see a forcing to bow, that impact is like, you know, exponential. Exactly. And again, it's the kind of thing that happens and it happens again. Think about, uh, you know, the whole thing with the time compression, right, is they want the story to be able to happen within a single generation of people so that the same characters can be going all the way through this kind that kind of change can happen within a jacket. French Revolution, Napoleon. It's not a big gap. We are talking about a decade between the French Revolution, just a little more than a decade, right? Since, and I mean, it's 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 really it's all right there, right? Um, so uh, so yeah, I mean, it's we can. Uh, that's exactly the kind of thing that I expect to see. That uh, um, our Farazan is going to. Sorry, he's not yet our Farazan. Farazan is going to go uh, from being you know first among equals, right? Uh, in the in the you know the Democratic Republic of, of Numenor um, through, well, maybe not Democratic, but anyway, the, the, the sort of People's Republic of Numenor, right, up to, um, up to our Farazan, the Golden, right, within, uh, within the course of, uh, of, of, of decades. That I, I, I'm, I'm ready for that. Like, I think that that's going to, and that's what I expect to see. I expect to see him rising just by the acclaim of the people. Right. Uh, and you know, this is not going to be him oh, overtly. This is not going to be him seizing command. Um, I bet you um, that it's even going to be played like I bet you that he himself initially is going to believe that he's making a sacrifice for the benefit of Numenor. Um, like oh, lead, leading the people because they and it's the way it's what you know, they insist and it's not what he wants, but it's best for the people and it's best for Numenor. And, and that's such a, a classic trope too I think of just having the villain be sympathetic of making a decision that he thinks is good almost makes you understand their choice and there's something really powerful in that so yeah I, I definitely think we'll see a little bit along those lines yeah yeah um, yeah no I think it's I, I, I think that's going to be really interesting I mean I, um, several of us I remember the conversation that I was having with Matt and Alan um, 
in San Diego, uh, Matt, Nerd of the Rings and Alan Sisto from The Prancing Pony. Uh, and we were talking about Farazan and uh, and his character because we all got to talk to Tristan Gravel at uh, lunch that day. And we were like, yeah, you know, Farazan is he's like the whole story of the fall of Numenor is really going to hinge on how they handle Farazan's character. Um, I mean, it really, the whole thing really kind of rests on his shoulders. Though, I think a very different kind of pressure rests on Muriel's shoulders as well, right? You know, we've got, we have in a sense the two, you can see the two poles emerging, right? Farazan on the one hand and Elendil on the other hand. Um, That, but Muriel is in the middle, right? Um, and her position in the middle, uh, trying to sort of steer in between, I think is uh, um, is going to be a really fascinating and delicate thing uh, to to watch. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, there's um, yeah, yeah, all kinds of really complicated and interesting. Uh, stuff that I think that we we see um, happening there in Numenor, and I just um, maybe we um, um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about so the chronology stuff. I feel like there's still a bunch of people who are sort of well, I can tell people are confused, um, but I think I think the situation is kind of simpler than a lot of people are making it out to be. Um, I don't think they're compressing as much as people think they have to compress. Um, like, for instance, I heard people saying, like, you know, how is it that Isildur is already alive because there's not going to be, you know, how is he going to still be alive at the time of the Last Alliance? And what I was saying to that in response was, well, hang on, like, what does what needs to happen for Isildur mm. before he gets to the end? I mean, what? Nothing. Right? I mean... Um, the, when you think of the path that's laid before Isildur's character, there are several things that he needs to do, but he can do them all, right? Now, yeah, Francisco, this is this is the crux of the problem. Yes, if you're looking at Appendix B, it is true that Elendo is born about 1,500 years after the forging of the Rings of Power. Yes, what they're doing, plainly, right? They're not compressing the timeline even so much as they're just shifting it, right? The Rings of Power story... <clears throat> that is, from Anatar's arrival and the forging of the Rings of Power to the war in Eriador, turns around relatively quickly, right? But it happens early in this early in the middle of the Second Age, right? They're taking that story <clears throat> and they're pushing that towards the end. They're basically doing the the very predictable thing. Um, it's like um, uh, my wife is a doctor, and one of the things she I remember her telling once when she and I were watching ER together decades ago, right? Uh, the t- the old TV show, and uh, she was saying it's not that any because she had just been done an ER shift uh, recently, but when we were watching the show, um, in which we stopped watching after she started doing those shifts because she's I was like, say, I'm like yeah, you can't come home no, to ER exactly, work right, that wasn't ER. It. But anyway, what she was saying about it, she was like, it's not that like very much that happens in the show is completely unrealistic. It's just that like in one hour of television, you get the exciting things of like three months compressed into one hour, basically like all of those things might happen right yeah. over the course of a three month period in a busy ER. Um, 
but they're not going to happen all on the same night. And it happens every, you know, like night in the show. Right. Um, and it's it's bas- it's it's very similar. Like they're not actually I haven't seen very much change of 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 uh, um, like absolute change in events. They're just shifting where they happen in the timeline. Right. So they're, they're, they're clearly suggesting, like, what if the Rings of Power thing didn't happen until, you know, at the same time that the, you know, the decline of Numenor is brewing at the same time. Um, it's not I don't think there's a real big problem. You just have to you just have to, like, accept that fact that things are, you know, they're 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 telling all the events of the Second Age and they're bringing them all together. That doesn't even require a whole lot of shifting while the last, the latter parts of Numenor is happening. What was Sauron up to during our Pharaoh's on rain, our Pharaoh's on rain? What's Sauron up to? Well, Sauron is up to, uh, up to building his army, right? Um, establishing, reestablishing his, cause he's been defeated already, right? Earlier on, he's, he's establishing his, uh, his power, um, his power base and his armies and declaring himself to be, you know, the ruler of, of all things, right? The ruler of all men in particular, all humans in particular. Um, and that's, of course, what our Pharazon takes exception to and goes over and uh, uh, scatters his armies and takes Sauron as prisoner back to Numenor, right? Um, okay, but there's nothing else happening. Like, meanwhile, in Middle-earth, what else is going on in Middle-earth? Nothing, as far as we know. Nothing. Like, there's, there's nothing else happening in Appendix B, right, in the Tale of Years at that point in Middle-earth. Meanwhile, okay, but now let's go back 1,500 years earlier to what Tolkien described happening. So what's happening when the Rings of Power are forged? What's happening in Numenor? Well, not much. Right, almost nothing happening in Numenor then. Uh, some exploration, right? Some contact with with you know between the Numenorians and Gilgalad and stuff, um, such that when we have the Rings of Power created and then the war, um, we you know Sauron and what's Sauron been doing? Sauron's been building his power base, right, and establishing his armies, and then he invades Eriador and he kills Celebrimbor and sacks Eregion, and and then what happens? Then the Numenorian the Numenorians come and they scatter Sauron's armies uh, and he is defeated until he builds them up again, right? So um, all you have to do, right, all they have to do in order to make all that stuff work together which is what they seem to do, is just conflate the two times in which Sauron builds up his armies and the two times in which he's defeated, both times by Numenorians coming in, right? So that's actually really easy to do. Like, those stories fit together really quite well. Um, and I don't see any massive problems. Indeed, like the thing that the thing that I'd remind people of, there are problems with continuity in Tolkien's construction of the Second Age. There are problems. The One Ring is a problem. The One Ring and the Fall of Numenor is a problem that I don't think Tolkien ever satisfactorily solved. He's tried to solve it both ways. He tried to say, oh, Tolkien could bring the ring with him, but in spirit form somehow take the ring with him when he leaves. Um, even though his body was destroyed, he didn't lose the ring. Um, in another place, he says that he set the ring aside and put it in, like, I don't know, a safe deposit box in Mordor and then came back to it after uh, he uh, after the drowning of Numenor. Neither of those are neither of those solutions is a very satisfactory solution. Um I think that either one of those two things could be could be worked with or could be improved upon. Um, and so anyway, I'll be very interested to see um, what um, uh, what they 
how they deal with that. I mean, that was always one of the challenges I was most fascinated to see if they could kind of solve this problem that um, uh, that uh, that Tolkien left, basically. I mean, and what it is in, in Tolkien's work is it's a seam between two stories. Right, Tolkien had written the Numenor story independently of the Rings of Power story. He wrote the the Rings of Power story sort of independently of the Numenor story. He wanted Sauron to be the big bad in both cases, right? I mean, that was he. You know, he made the decision to say like, oh no, no, they're both Sauron. He managed to integrate them um, by sort of putting them both side by side there in Appendix B. Um, but there's a you can still see the seam between those two stories, which were written quite independently. Um, but um, Anyway, um, so, so yeah, really interested to see that. But again, it's it's not like you. My advice to you is just this: let Appendix B go. Just 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 let it go. It's okay. Just let it go. They're not going to follow the whole year by year sequence. So like, if you're saying, but there's fifteen hundred years. No, there's no, no, there's not. Let it go. And the thing I would say is, think of any war film you have ever seen any historic drama you have ever seen if we watched the whole of the civil war for four years that would be a very dull all long movie so you know there was a comment earlier about J.R. Tolkien's loaded timeline it's not a loaded timeline it's a history it's, yeah. it's a multi-millennia history yes and we don't have multi-millennia to just watch the grass grow so we're just going squish um, yeah. And it's the same thing that, yeah, you can pick out these individual stories and make a 90 minute film out of it, but these guys are making a 50 hour film. So we're going to take the most important points and compress them. So, yeah, I, I think everybody gets it in the chat. And I love all the examples people brought in about like CSI DNA examples and stuff coming back in a few hours in TV, but a few months in real life. <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of the track we're taking here. Like, right. we're going to skip the boring bits to just make sure that the stories work and action moves forward and pacing is consistent and all that stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. No, try it's... not to get hung up on the details of how it's supposed to be because... Exactly, because right. even that, like, it, yeah, um, that's not how it's supposed to be. It's how Tolkien did it in Appendix B, by the way, which yeah. is itself kind of sketchy. I mean, like, that was him... Uh, I mean, I honestly believe that part of the reason that he did that the way that he did was just to kind of fill out... The, se the Second Age was always a big gap in Tolkien's thought, um, which had a bunch of, like, individual stories in it, but he hadn't really put it together into one big, consistent story. And so he was kind of, you know slapping some of this stuff in there and spacing it out. Like, I, I, it's it's not... Um, there's a lot. Um, I think that Tolkien himself would have been the first to say, I would want to develop how all this stuff works together more. Um, but, um, okay. So, uh, oh man, so many questions. Um, I know. Yeah, so many questions. Let's see. Um, okay. So many questions. Let's see. Um, yeah, oh, good, yeah. Uh, Randy had a uh, Harry Potter filmmakers uh, parallel. Did you see that? Um, talk about the conflation of the battle at the end of the Half-Blood Prince with the battle at the end of the Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Yeah, and, and for understandable reasons. It's, it's taking similar action and smushing it together because we don't need to see that boring thing four times. Right. Um, we can just see a really exciting condensing of that thing one time. And I mean, what we need, like, I think I talked about this way early on, like what we need is an action point and movement forward. So right. like 
what that action point is, we hope is based in stuff that we're familiar with and that you hope is true to the spirit of the text and all those phrases that are really vague and a little bit difficult to feel good about sometimes. But what we need is that core moment and then progression forward. So as long as the core moments are things that we are familiar with, with the timeline, and the progression forward is moving us towards other things that are familiar on the timeline, Mm-hmm. I don't really care about the span between those things being shorter or longer because it's all going to work and yeah, yeah, trust the process. Yeah, um, and they might all, not all work. This is a lot they're working with, and they didn't all work for Tolkien. So, you know, I was saying I don't know if it was to you or just to Ben earlier of like I look forward to the time that I can just watch this season and watch it, and not just look for analysis because i'm not even sure if i like it or not i'm just really liking analyzing right right i haven't had a chance to see if i enjoy it but so far i'm like work-wise it's all working (laughs) yeah exactly no and i um and it's added to that the fact that i can never i always have a hard time answering that question until the end right like i have to i have to know a whole story i mean just like i um (laughs) like i literally didn't know that I really disliked all three of the Hobbit films until I'd seen the third one, right? Then after seeing all three of them and see having the entire story, I was like, okay, now I'm quite sure that none of this worked, right? But I mean, people will remember I was like, there were lots of, there was lots of defenses I was ready to make, lots of ways in which I could still see, even at the end of film two, there was still a lot of potential for how this could have come together in some really interesting ways. Um, There were some things that would have needed to happen in order to kind of, pull it out um, of some less good stuff that was going on there especially in the second film but I was ready for that had that happened it would have changed because that's the thing like what happens how a thing comes together in the end can in fact retroactively change the stuff that came earlier on right Um, if um, if something is doing like a lot of really interesting foreboding and foreshadowing of a thing that then actually gets paid off in the end, that's good, right? But that same stuff in the early parts, if that doesn't get paid off, then it becomes retroactively bad, ineffective, right? Because it's leading us to expect something which never actually does happen, right? Like, you know, it becomes like the gun on the stage that never gets fired, right? Um, But that's what we were talking about last week, like, you know, loose ends. Like, yeah, yeah, loose ends are not a good thing, but like false starts, and misleading but still yeah. information that is valid in the route that it does take that makes sense so yeah uh. yeah exactly so um so yeah so we'll see so i mean i i i i legitimately i mean apart from the fact that i don't really like much talking about what i like or don't like in general because i always i don't know i don't like reviews yeah. i've never liked reviews i don't like reading them i never give them um but um uh but but in general i um uh, I certainly could never give that. Like, I, I, as you say, like my reaction is not, oh, I love this. My reaction is, this is so interesting to talk about. There's so much that we can see I mean, going and don't on. Don't get me wrong. There are absolutely things in my life that I love more yeah. than is healthy for someone to love. <laughs> so like, I look forward to that, that moment too. But it might not be the show because, you know, work and, and like analysis and enjoyment, I think, are two separate things. But it's so nice when those things can come together. So maybe this will happen, but I won't know for a while. In the meantime, yeah. I'm certainly enjoying the process and I feel like it's working structurally. But Yeah. 
I want to try to steer us to talk about the next topic because which King we've asked and I have the same desire to talk about this. Are we going to talk about Halbrand's keen interest in blacksmith guild, deception skills, wolfish strength? Let's talk about Halbrand. Let's talk about Halbrand. Yeah, let's talk about Halbrand. Um, I don't know about you, Maggie, but after episode three, I was feeling... After episode two... I was like, so in relation to the whole, I've been hearing the Halbrand is Sauron thing forever. Like I've been getting that from people forever. Um, uh, Like long before the first episodes were released or I'd seen them, I was getting that from people. And um, I never liked the idea. After seeing episode two, I was like, my initial reaction to episode two was distressingly plausible, right? That, uh, That he could be, right? After episode three, I feel quite differently. Um, I mean, I, f- I don't... F- I felt totally... Um, I did not feel at all that he... Like, it... I don't feel I like he's sad. you were going to throw a fast one at me and be like, did you change your mind? No, I'm not changing my no, mind. No, okay. no, I feel more confident in not believing that he's Sauron after episode three. Um, the forging thing, I'm like... No, nah, I mean, that that seems like sort of relatively transparent misdirection. And the way that that was played in any case is I, I do not believe from anything that Halbrand said that this is a, like, this is Sauron's scheme. Like, his going into that blacksmith shop was, like, step one in his, you know, insidious plan to take over Numenor, like, through their fort. Like, no. I don't know. Like, what instead I think we were seeing was a human character who seems genuinely interested in creating a a new start for himself who's definitely running away from his yeah. past um and wants to run away from his past is willing is totally unscrupulous right you know ha- is uh, has very few principles uh guiding him in how he goes about doing that right as we can see he's unscrupulous and he's unreliable uh to an extreme degree um but um but again i don't see Dark Lord. Yeah, I mean that's the bit that. that I really focused in on. If this, I was I was steps behind that where I wasn't really concerned if this guy was Sauron or not. I was just like, who's this character? And you start to get a little concerned when he's ruthless on the scrap of wood that they're floating on. Yeah. And then you wonder why he's abandoned in the first place. And then he seems nice, but it's a little bit of trickery. And then he beats everybody to a bloody pulp. I mean. I assume some of those people died. Like mm-hmm. that was not really a rational reaction. So, you know, there is this like, I want to like him because he is reminiscent of, of Aragorn and things like that. He seems like the rough and tumble. Like you want to be rooting for this underdog that is clearly the unlikely hero. You know, shouldering off the call. He's, he's not wanting to rise up to the the fate and the role that he's supposed to have and all those yeah. things. Yeah. But he really does at his core seem to be a pretty bad dude. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and so I, um, I I'm not expecting necessarily a good outcome from him. Um, I rather believe that at the end of the day he is going to disappoint Galadriel in one way or the other. Yeah. Um, um, I could see him becoming a Nazgul seven days a week. I could see him be. People have said Witch King. I don't get Witch King from him mostly just because mm-hmm. the Witch King is like what what uh, the Witch King has his own power. Like he does magic. Um, 
to put that really bluntly. And Halbrand is not. So I, I, I don't see Halbrand as a candidate. The, the Witch King is like an evil wizard figure. Um, so I don't I don't see that being Halbrand. But um, but whatever. Um, Nazgul, sure. Um, my favorite theory, I do, of, of all of the theories that uh, that I have heard, my favorite is the, that he ends up being the King of the Dead. Um, I think the King of the Dead theory is a solid theory. And, and the reason I love that theory in particular is that it's exactly the kind of way that I would ex- that I expect him to disappoint Galadriel, right? Yeah, um, like he is really not going to be an ally to re- to rely on at the end of the day. Yeah. And we've already seen him shirk off duties a couple of times and make very selfish decisions. So yeah, that that it tracks totally fits with what we've seen and would be a really. F- I mean, that we get somebody who is going to. I mean, the idea of having. That like when we then go, you know, like when we then go to the Lord of the Rings and meet the King of the Dead, we actually know him and his background. Yeah. Like, I love that. It's one of the things that I think is so much fun about adaptations like this um, is the opportunity to like add this dimension because you don't have the chance to do. So to give a really quick illustration by my favorite thing in the Lord of the Rings online adaptation, they do so. So Maggie, you'll remember even just from the movies. Well, no, because in the movies, it's there's not a whole there's there aren't any of them. But anyway, they they, they cut this from the movies. But when when um, the Rangers of the North come south uh, and meet up with Aragorn, like they've come to look for Aragorn uh, and to support him. So there's this you know the the Grey Company. There's this bunch of Rangers of of the Dúnedain from the north, um, his kinsmen from afar who come down, and they're with him all the way through the end to through the Battle of Pelennor Field and everything, and battle the, the Battle of the Black Gate. And of course, in the book, they literally come out of nowhere. Like we don't we, we know that they exist. Like we know that there are are other Dúnedain in the north, but we've never seen or heard of any of them, right? So when they come, we're introduced them. We're you know, and Tolkien sort of asks us to understand who they are and what they are, right? And we are met. We meet one of them by name, um, Halberd, who is the their the like. Aragorn's right-hand guy, you know, uh, his second-in-command. Um, and that's great, and I love Halberand, and, or Halberd, rather, and that, you know, and he dies tragically, and it's sad. Um, but they're, they're like, in the book, they're, they're like an idea. They're like a concept, right? We don't really know anything about them. In The Lord of the Rings Online, the video game, um, as you're traveling around and doing quests in the Northlands, you meet rangers everywhere. There's like Dunedain all over the place. And so like they're, they're like at the, the center of almost every like group of quests you do. So if you do all of the game content, you've spent like hundreds of hours questing with these different Dunedain and everything. And then when it's time for the Grey Company to form, they form. And you know every single one of those people by name and their history and like their background and like I I know like this guy has this tragic unrequited love going on in the Northlands and this guy had was you know has this was kidnapped like you know all their backstories and all their names and all their backstories so that when the Grey Company shows up to meet Aragorn it's this like incredible emotional experience when like now it's not a sea of just like random it's not just like a concept group Right now, it's like a sea of individual people whose names you know and whose history you know. It is so cool. It is one of the coolest pieces, uh, like one of the coolest effects 
in a book adaptation that I've ever seen. And it's because they have hundreds and hundreds of hours, right, uh, of gameplay in order to, 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 to do all this stuff out. So awesome. I see several of our Lotro players here <laughs> yeah. mourning one of those rangers who dies along the way, doesn't even get to Aragorn, um, but has this whole tragic story. So again, you're like mourning for the death of a dude who never even gets to be in the faceless group in, 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 in the book, right? Anyway, if that kind of like additional dimension could be added to the King of the Dead at the end, yes. it would be awesome in exactly yeah. this same kind of way. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, I, I, I mean, yeah. And my frame of reference for all this is Star Wars, where you like you think about something like Rogue One, like that yes. throwaway yes. line, and all of a sudden we have uh, argumentatively my favorite Star Wars film was Rogue One. I think it is absolutely stunning, and that was based off of a throwaway line about the, the lengths that they went through to get the plans for the Death Star, right. you know, and they right. built this incredible world, and now we have a whole other spin-off series on that. That yeah, you know, just exactly the world building you can do and the character development you can do for somebody you already know. It's like knowing, I don't know, it's like knowing a secret and then seeing the clues coming up to it. It's, it's yeah. great. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really, that's really, really cool. Um, yeah, that's why I, I'm so thinking about, like, thinking about this, like, experience in Lotro and watching this show happening. You know, I just see people shouting and saying, like, it's just fan fiction. And I'm like, I know, right? And it's really good. You're so missing out. <laughs> they Holy say cow. that like it's a slur. I like, know. Oh, you haven't read good fan fiction. You've just, yeah, <laughs> that this is what we call literature, actually. But... I mean, I think, I, I feel like you could say, I know Tolkien was the author, but he was writing his own fan fiction, right? Like, yes. Like, these ideas. And he Constantly. It's Constantly, that is what Tolkien did. Absolutely, um, yeah. but um, anyhow. So yeah. So I I, lo I love the King of the Dead theory. It's definitely my favorite theory. Um, I, I could see other things, you know, certainly happening uh, to him and everything. But I don't expect a great outcome from Halbrand. Um, you know, I, I, right now, I mean, really, it seems like the question is, as you say, there's all kinds of like unlikely hero, and definitely with the Aragorn parallels. But I don't think it's going to be the same thing. Um, I don't think it's going to be the same thing with uh, the um, uh, like. It's, it's it's not going to have this. I don't think that they're going to give him the same trajectory that they give you know that that Aragorn has exactly. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, okay. All right, all right. Um, can we talk about the stranger? Yeah. Okay. It's <laughs> Oh, and we can then we can talk about why the Harfoots are so cruel. Yes, let's talk about the cruelty of the Harfoots as well, for sure. I was really loving them, and now I'm like, guys, just wait. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, okay, so stranger, I, I, I see. Um, let's see. Let me um, let me count down from least likely to most likely my ratings of the theories about The Stranger. Um, no. I'll do it the other way around. Most likely. From most likely to least likely. Most likely is he is a wizard. I still think this is the uh, almost everything, um, almost all of the main stuff about him says wizard to me. Everything that we're seeing in him as far as his arrival, his state of confusion and nudity and uh, and acclamation entirely says uh, new, newly incarnated person and a lot of people aren't understanding the difference between incarnated person and 
a spiritual being who is manifesting a physical body. Um, a spiritual being manifested, manifesting a physical body is not going to be disoriented like that. They're just, it's how they're choosing to manifest. So there is absolute continuity in their mentality um, between one and the other. I've heard people say, well, maybe they're taking that form and then they get hit on the head. It's like, no, it actually doesn't work that way. They don't have a literal head to get hit on. They're just manifesting a body. But anyway, okay, so a wizard. Wizard for sure. Um, uh, As whether it's a blue wizard or whether it's Gandalf, that is hard to say. I do not deny. Like, all the people who are like, there's so much evidence that points to the fact that it's Gandalf. Agreed. Not disagreeing with any of those observations. I still think a lot of that could be misdirection, or rather that people are mistaking um, cues that this is a wizard for... A wizard, and therefore like Gandalf, um, to this is Gandalf himself. I am not convinced that they mean it's Gandalf himself. But do I see the similarities with Gandalf? Oh, yes, I do. Of course I do. Um, uh, I don't... I still don't think that's open and closed, but but whatever. Anyway, um, the... um, So, wizard, I think, still most likely. Second uh, uh, most likely would be Sauron. Um, I still disbelieve this and the primary I reason I disbelieve this is that one of the, one of the things that I that seems that strikes me as a, a common thread through all of the this is Sauron theories that I have seen is that they all focus on disguise. Like if this were turn out to be Sauron, he would be very effectively disguised. Well, yes. If Sauron's job, if it's his only goal was to like go into the witness protection program, then yes, he could he could be Poppy, and that would be a really effective disguise. Like no one would ever see it coming, right? But he is only going to disguise himself as part of his overall strategy, and his strategy for world domination is in its latter stages now. Like, it's go time uh, on Sauron's plans right now. He's not just starting. This is not him brainstorming. He's not in a data-gathering phase. He is moving forward the world dominion plot. He's in production. He's in production right now. (laughs) And so any disguise that he goes into has to clearly serve that. Like, has to be... He's a planner. Sauron's a planner. It has to be part of his plan, right? So, um, why would he disguise himself like the... Why would he be pretending he's lost his memory in order to take in these random Harfoots? I see no angle for Sauron in this at all. Why on earth would this serve this stage of his world dominion posture? Similarly, I don't see any angle in the, like... I'm going to leave the Southlands and get on a random boat, which is then going to wreck, and I'm going to be floating at sea on what? The offhand chance that he's going to meet Galadriel swimming in his direction and then get randomly taken to Numenor, right? No, no. Like, it's there is no angle for Sauron. Getting on that boat would have been a dumb plan. Like it's there's there's no there's no angle there. So I just it doesn't make any sense in any way for Sauron to do this that I can possibly see. So um, so I don't believe that's why I don't believe Sauron for either one of those things. Let's see. Down from there we get into the really unlikely things. Um, uh, the um, the next least likely. Uh, uh, is 
and this is, by the way, my personal favorite, um, is that it's the man in the moon. I love the man in the moon theory that this is Tilly and this is the man in the moon who comes down and that it's the inspiration for the man in the moon, you know, uh, 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 stayed up too late song and everything. Delightful. Love it. Love it. Um, uh, I would be personally delighted if it turned out that this was the man in the moon who came down. Um, and the moment he eats porridge, I'm going to start getting suspicious. But uh, no, I, 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 no, that would just be silly. And I don't see any angle on that. It doesn't make sense in the least bit. Um, fun. But by the way. But I'm also like. If if he starts eating porridge, I'm also gonna be like, well, he could just like porridge, but there could, they are leading you astray again. Exactly, it could it could just be an Easter egg. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I just yeah, I, I think that that's I think that's a really fun but ultimately silly idea. Un, less likely than that is Tom Bombadil. <laughs> <laughs> the Tom yeah. Bombadil idea. No, no. Tom Bombadil is 100% associated with that patch of ground where Frodo meets him in the Lord of the Rings. He is not going to be here. There's no reason to take him here. Yes, I know you can't say that just because this thing is true in the books means it's necessarily true in the films. I keep saying that myself. So no, I'm not. Just because I would want to say, well, Tom Bombadil is supposed to be over here doesn't mean it's true in the film. I know. Why on earth would they make it be Tom Bombadil? That makes no sense whatsoever and would be a total like a, a weird violation from of his character so no it's I, not Tom I Bombadil. love the like outrage in the comments pixel there's a Bombadil theory there's a Bombadil <laughs> theory yeah exactly um, and then I would say even less likely than Tom Bombadil um, in my mind is the Balrog theory that he's a Balrog in disguise um, I, no. First of all, there's no reason to think even a Balrog could do a disguise, and there's even less reason to think that a Balrog would do this and act in this way. It's just, there's nothing, I don't see, apart from the fact that fire, there's fire at one point, I don't see even the faintest reason to suspect that it's a Balrog. It's one of the, it's one of the things that I don't even, um, I can't, I have a hard time even understanding what the points are to suggest it right like what what are the what what are the arguments for it so um anyway yeah so i think um i my pie chart would be like wizard like 80 percent and sauron like 19 percent and then the others varying tiny slivers of the remaining one percent i didn't feel very strongly one way or the other of what this was i i do think it's a wizard but i don't know if i feel if it's just a blue wizard it's bog standard yeah. or if it is specific to Gandalf but the fact that the first line he actually uttered was friend either that's a sweet nod yeah or that's a pretty heavy handed clue right right yeah I, I did yeah. start to think down that line yeah but let's talk about the Harfoots so um the Harfoots it's um it's uh it's a hard world man they're living in a hard world um but, but why can't they wait for somebody what I don't understand and I'm hoping to understand better is what exactly is at stake with the migration? Why do they migrate yeah. and is where? Is somebody chasing them? Yeah. I mean, well, clearly there are line. people chasing them. I mean, like, there are the wolves, right? And we know that, um, and that was one of the low-key touching moments of episode three. Like, did you catch the fact that the woman that I, that I believe to be Sadok's wife was killed by wolves? Um, you know, he mentions Daffodil, I think her name, Daffodil Burroughs. Um, 
And I think it's pretty clear that that's his wife, um, uh, that he, or maybe his daughter. But anyway, clearly a close female relation of Sadok personally, um, who was taken by wolves. And we know that there are wolves. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I agree. Witch King says, I've seen the episode episode three three times. And when Sadok says Daffodil Burrows uh, and we see his stoic face, I tear up. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, was, it was, I didn't catch it the first time, but I caught it the second time. And it was really, really moving after that. Um, but um, um, anyway, uh, so it's clear there are issues. Now, how those issues correspond with seasons, like why the seasonal migration is necessary, what they're going to get to when they complete their migration, why they're safer there in this season than they will be, you know, in the other place. I, I, I don't, I don't understand all the, the factors there. Um, but I mean that the clear thing, you know, that I, that, that was, I felt was you know, like being communicated to us is that like their life is hard and they have to make hard choices if they're all to survive. Yeah, and I mean, all of it comes down to the man versus nature theme, doesn't it? You know, yeah. we don't know what the outside forces are, but we know that they are leading themselves to living in cozy hobbit holes in the Shire at some point. So I feel like all of these things kind of show us the threat and tough life that they did have to kind of get them to the point of being cozy homebodies. Yeah. It's still harsh, though. It is harsh. It is harsh. And it's, I mean, you know, I, I, I would remind folks that the the like the one line synopsis that Tolkien gave about the life of humans in you know in in of mortals in middle earth um in the second age was that the lot of men was unhappy it was a hard hard world uh for them to live in and i think that's the thing it's um i mean you think about um think about how often we see this in the animal world right of like you know someone is lame someone is sick and you know the herd doesn't just like stay put and gather around them i mean they fall behind and get eaten by predators is what happens you know uh in the real world and that's a hard that's hard i mean goodness how how um how heartbreaking are nature shows <laughs> right when you watch them like it's and, and to, to an, an extent i felt like it was it was it was sort of saying a similar thing like this is what they mm. now one of the things that was interesting to me is that um when they were reading out the list, the memorial list, right, of people oh, that were left behind, behind. It, it's clear that the left behinds um, were not, I mean, like the list of things, right, you know, um, uh, uh, were not just like reasons why they couldn't quite keep up, right? It was the, like avalanche, right? Yeah, the, the things that were being, the things that were being listed were, um, um, were like disasters, wolf attack, landslide right even bees it was clear that he was it was like these were clearly accidental deaths mostly right and 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 it wasn't like you know this person got chill blains and was walking with a limp so you know like that that, right. that that wasn't on the list right um uh and yet um you know there's a you could even see it in the chant in the festival right um nobody goes off trail and nobody walks alone right yeah. um there's like the one is an injunction and the other is like uh, an affirmation, you know? And if you, if you can't, um, you know, if, 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 if you do go off trail, they can't go find you, you know, that was clear. Yeah, and I, and I thought it was interesting that they called the left behinds because that puts a lot of like 
almost guilt and blame on the people that went on. They're accepting we have left you behind. You yeah. know, like we're giving you this title and it does seem like they kind of live with that. They don't feel bad about it because this is part of their culture, but it was a very, you know, it's a choice to leave them behind. And I thought that was really clear. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was um uh it was it was jarring uh in a lot of ways. But I think again I think it's I I think it was meant to be. You know, I think that we have to um and especially it's 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 one of the challenges, right, of introducing this hobbit culture in the show is on the one hand there's obvious points of contact with the hobbit culture that everybody knows and loves, right? And we're supposed to attach this kind of hobbit affection and yet the show has to kind of push back at us and remind us, like, these are not the Shire Hobbits. Don't mistake them for the Shire Hobbits. This is not that world, and they're not living in that world. And you have to understand that they're not living in that world. Um, so anyway, that's, I, I thought that was, um, it was, it was strong. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was jarring, but it does seem to me like it's, it's a kind of jarring, um, that, uh, um, it was a kind of jarring that that I think seemed to me necessary, but um, uh, yeah. And a lot of the criticism yeah. I have been hearing is just that they're a little too happy-go-lucky and seem a little bit too plucky country folk. And then you get this, and I, I'm curious to see where it goes because I don't think I'm there yet. But it this gives it a real heavy undertone, you yeah, know, and it gives it some some real serious focus. So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, remember that um, Tolkien says in a couple places that the Shire Hobbits, by the time of the Lord of the Rings, the Shire Hobbits are sheltered. Like they are, mm -hmm. their society is the product of actually being sheltered. Um, and so they have, uh, even for the end of the Third Age, an unusually naive view of the world. Um, and this is going to be, you know, what what we're going to be getting of this, you know, semi-nomadic people, at least migratory people, um, in the Second Age is going to be quite, quite different. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, we will, um, we will see. Um, and we'll see where they go. I mean, I, I'm curious. They seem to have a destination since they have star charts and things like that. I assume they're actually on a directional path, not just wandering, but, yeah, we'll see where they end up. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Mordagnir is a uh, uh, great name, by the way. Um, Mordagnir, which means slayer of darkness, basically. Uh, uh, what do you think about the Southlands plot generally? Um, I, I don't. I, I, I'm very interested in the Southlands plot. The Southlands part of Episode Three was my least favorite element like that was the part that I struggled with the most um, mostly it felt rushed to me and it's hard because I know like 50 hours of television but still there's a lot lot to do and I felt like a lot was happening all at once like uh, R&D's company all of them being captured off screen was I was like whoa okay what everybody's yeah. here I guess alright fine how did that happen we don't know but uh, okay um I felt like the f the fight scene proceeded really quickly, too. Mm -hmm. um, it was I I was um, I was struggling a little bit between the like um, 
Arendir's ability in battle like was so fucked. The other elves were just being killed instantly, right? By the warg. Like the warg takes them down each in five seconds. They n- none of them even gets a shot in, right? Um, anyway, I I felt like he was a little more Superman compared to the rest of the elves in ways that I was like, I- I'm not. I don't have the background here, like, you know, what exactly uh-huh. is going on. Um, but, um, yeah, I, that so that I was struggling with some of that a little bit. I, I, I had a hard time investing. Um, I, there was a lot of things I, I'm really interested in Adar and where that's going. I um, I loved the orcs, still love the orcs. Um, loved the um, loved everything about the orcs and the the depictions the you know the relationship with the sun um, yeah. which is again something that was so glossed over um, in the Peter Jackson films like most people don't even most people would watch the Peter Jackson films without even knowing that orcs had an issue with the sun it was kind of dodged in certain ways um, which were not like lore breaking necessarily in Peter Jackson's films but it was just it was never something that was made an issue of at all and um, I think it's really interesting to see them make an issue of it right loved the like um i don't know what it is like lizard skin like crocodile skin is almost what it looks like you know you could see like the scaly cloaks that they're wearing and stuff which seemed pieces and yeah i really think their whole visual development is just fantastic yeah yeah um so there was a lot that i that i really did like um uh and but, there were parts of that fight that I really enjoyed too. Like I know there's a lot of flack going for Iron Deer's chain work and his, you know, flying around action heroes, but I really like that. That was pretty cool. It's the, it's the things that kind of remind you that they have these other abilities that yeah. they are other. Um, yeah, that's probably the best bit I liked of that fight because I also thought there were some things, like you said, just shot down too fast and yeah, I don't know. It all just the pacing just felt really off for that scene to me. But I understand the end goal that they needed to get to, which is felt like they got captured and released within the same breath yeah yeah that's that was the problem that i was having is that the whole thing Mm -hmm. it wasn't that i had necessarily a particular problem with any one given thing but that it felt rushed um uh and i felt like i was receiving what they were delivering but it would i would have been it would have been easier for me to receive it had it had had it been a little bit sort of gentler i don't think there was any individual thing with our endears like actions that's it wasn't like legolas levitating in the battle of five armies you know jumping off of rocks in midair and such like there was there wasn't anything like that i mean like you know most of the physics was kind of working for me loved the chains by the way like the i thought that was awesome like the when they were hitting the orcs with their own with their own chain that was like that was that was gorgeous absolutely loved that um and beautiful physics in that one Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that was that was really really cool loved the um like even though it was sort of the most over the top when the orcs are yanking him back and he does the thing with the twig and stabs him in the neck, I was into it. I was into it mostly for the like. I mean, I love the symbolic thing, right? Like he kills him with the dried dead, you know, twig of the tree that that orc had commanded to be taken down. You know, I, I was, I was, I was, I was there for that. Um, and again, I don't think I would have had a problem with anything that Arendir did had all of the other elves not been wholly incompetent. It was the contrast Fair. that was that was yeah. bothering me. Um, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. The warg was a little. Um, yeah, it was a little over CG'd. 
Well, I, I don't know. I never have a problem with that kind of thing. Um, I'm really easy I don't to... have a problem with it because, like, it's a word. You have to you have to fictionalize it. You right. have to make it up. Right. Um, I do have a problem with it when it takes me out of the story. I shouldn't notice it. Right. And I noticed it, you know. Right. It should just be like, ooh, scary. And... It's funny. So I, I see a lot of people comparing the warg to a chihuahua, which, first of all, can I just say an enormous chihuahua would be completely terrifying. Oh, right? horrific. Right? I mean, like, the only reason chihuahuas aren't terrifying is that they're so tiny, right? Yeah. But if you had a, a dog with the attitude of a chihuahua that was the, the size of a Great of a Dane, right? And the face of a chihuahua and the size of a Great Dane, like, oh my goodness, like, I am running yeah. in terror from a beast yeah. like that. So it's I had no problem hyenas, with that. It's the hyenas from Lion King. Like, yeah. just pure evil. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the thing that was the only thing that was kind of a little bit strange to me about it was like it was made this huge deal of it, like they were releasing the Rancor or something, and then mm. like the thing that comes out is the size of a Saint Bernard, right? Which yeah. is like fine, like down th- yeah, loads of people, right? And like I wouldn't have wanted to meet it in a dark alley. I'm not saying you know like it's fine. I'd have been scared of that thing, but um, but it just like it just felt that. I felt like the build-up, the big problem was the build-up and then the reveal, right? Um, we were the build-up made it sound like it was going to be some, you know, enormous, terrifying monster, and it ended up being kind of underwhelming for that. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, but um, anyway, yeah. So so I'm down for Darth Chihuahua. It's fine. I have no problem with that in principle. Um, I love it. But uh, yeah. Anyway, um, we did have a quick question earlier. Um, people just want to know what he whispered to the tree, and oh, forgive me is what he out. is. Yeah, is what he whispered to the tree. Yeah, yeah, forgive me, um, which was beautiful. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, um, I, I love that. Um, yeah, yeah, um, but, um, but anyway, as far as the Southlands plot as a whole, I am the character I'm most excited about is Bronwyn. I'm really interested to see where Bronwyn's character goes. And the reason I say that is that um, I don't trust uh, Halbrand to come back and be a really great leader figure for the Southlands. And really, one of the big... Clearly, what we're going to see is Sauron's return and what it means. Of course, like we've already seen how, potentially, at least, the um, uh, the work that the elves... The distrust... The understandable distrust that the elves have shown to the humans there, understandable because of the elf perspective, right? They don't, their worldview is such that they still think of these people as the allies of Morgoth, even though they're the distant, distant ancestors. And But nevertheless, their own distrust of these people is clearly going to be one of the things that's going to lead many of them to ally themselves with Sauron against the elves. Um, And so I'm interested to see that sort of tragedy unfold. But of course, there are those that will resist, and I think Bronwyn obviously is set up to be one of those who will resist. Um, and I'm going to be really interested to see her. And of course, things are going to get complicated with Theo, who I think is not going to resist in the same way. And um, uh, anyway, so I'm re- so she seems to me the one who's kind of positioned uh, most as sort of the purest spokesperson for. Mm-hmm. The Southlanders who are innocent, who want nothing to do with it, but now they're in a terrible position. And what are they going to do? 
what are they going to do? How is she going to resist Sauron? How is she going to, is she going to be able to lead some of her people? Like, is there going to be a, a split? Are some of them going to go with Sauron and some, and she's going to, what? What is she going to become? Uh, like a guerrilla leader of a resistance? I don't know. Like it's, but I'm really interested to see where exactly it's going to go because I suspect that she, she's the one who seems to me, again, of all the people, the one who's likely to be sort of, um, the primary person who is going to be not okay with the, with the, uh, alliance with, um, uh, with Sauron. So uh, I, I think, um, I don't know, as you say, it'll be interesting. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, she's also the only one that we've, uh, seen not having kind of beef against the elves. I mean, yeah. obviously she's well aligned for that. Yes. So there is yeah. this kind of separation where she's already like, I'm not impressed by you, Elf. I like you like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's already that kind of, hmm, okay. Yeah. Um, and I do respect that about her. Um, I, I did see in the chat, I think it'll be interesting that there might be some tragic end to Bronwyn, which would push Theo into the darkness, and that's a motivating thought. Yep, yep, agreed. Um, Sad. Yeah. Uh, we're, ooh, we're at the end of our time. Real quick yeah. thoughts on what you hope to see in episode four tonight. Oh, oh my God, tonight. It's so exciting that it's like now. Yeah, Imminent. six hours from now. Yeah. Right? Um, I want to go back to the dwarves. I want to know what's going on with Elrond and Durin. Like, full stop. Yep. I just want to spend all the time I can with them. Yeah. Um, and I want to know what's in the chest. Um, I want to say I want to spend more time in Numero, but I think just as a tourist right now, I think I need to leave that plot for a minute to just kind of simmer. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I want to go back to the elves. Um, and you've also ruined, we had a question about this earlier, how you say Gilgalad, because I now say Gilgalad, because you say Gilgalad, but that's not how you say it. No, Gilgalad is how it's supposed to be pronounced. <sighs> Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to try... Um, I'm going to make another effort. I made an effort years ago and I kept slipping up and, and people were like, why do you keep pronouncing it multiple ways? And I'm like, forget it. Um, like I'm going to try there. again. I'm going to try again. Uh, yeah. I'm going to try again. Gilgalad yeah, is wanna, definitely how it's supposed to be pronounced. In, I want to spend more time in those timelines. Yeah. Uh, I feel like they're just starting to get their feet. And, you know, we heard from the showrunners, it's going to be episodes five or six when we really start to sink in. So yeah. we're getting closer, you know, with each episode. I'm like, all right, I'm in, I'm in. So yeah. That's what I'm excited about. Yep, for sure. I um I would definitely say I want more Gilgalad. I want more we we got so little from him. And what we did get was like puzzling and weird yeah. and, uh, yeah, and I like, don't feel great no, about no, it. You know geez. Yeah. Which is fine. Like I'm fine not feeling great about it. Like I'm I'm to me by far the most helpful thing I heard from the showrunners was their reminders where you see everybody at the beginning of season one is very far from where they're going to like, remember everybody has a long, long plot arc. And so I've been, I've been, I've been holding on to that, you know, as I've been watching was with Gilgalad in particular, I've been trying, you know, to remember this is not like who Gilgalad is. This is just where Gilgalad starts and okay. All right. I don't even know exactly where that is. I didn't see enough to even have an understanding clearly of where Gilgalad is starting and what his ideas are and what his plans are. So, um, I'm uh, Grimbor, like, why are we rushing the building of this forge? Like what's, what's the big push? So yeah, yes, the big push with Kel Grimbor. Yeah, yeah exactly. More time there. I will say very quickly, by the way, my favorite, um, people don't actually usually ask me who I think, think Sauron actually is. I just spend all my time why explaining why I don't think any of the people that we've seen are Sauron. But um, my favorite my favorite theory as to where Sauron is right now is that he's already 
Anatar, and he's already backstage with Celebrimbor. He's already connected with Celebrimbor. And that push to to make the forge ready by spring is coming from Sauron himself. Um, because it's it fits with Sauron's time frame. Um, yeah, there's no other reason. We there's would no other reason for it. So part. that we're going to find out only later, maybe soon, but later on, that um, Anatar is already on the scene. That's my favorite theory um, about, and that, but I don't expect it to come to fruition until the end of season one, beginning of mm-hmm. season two. So um, that's my favorite Sauron theory. I don't think I, 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 none of the people that we've seen are Sauron. Adar isn't Sauron. The Slim Shady person is not Sauron. Like that's that, no. We're Do we not. know who Adar is? I mean, why fuck no. the face? We haven't yet. I think what we saw of the face was enough to show this is not an orc, right? He does not look right. like an orc. Um, he looks like an elf. Yeah. Yeah. You could even see the ear. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think, I think in Adar, I think we're going to see like an orc progenitor and I'm here for that. I think that's really cool and I'm uh, Mm -hmm. interested to see that. But, um, um, yeah, I do think that, um, and I know that the name Anatar isn't in the text of the Lord of the Rings. Maybe they won't use it. Maybe they'll give him another name or maybe they will have gotten permission to use the name Anatar, even though that name is not in the in the Lord of the Rings. It won't be the first time they have permission to, from the very first maps we saw, they're using names that are only in Unfinished Tales and not in the Lord of the Rings appendices at all. So it's clear that they have permission to use some names. It's very different to say this character whose story is told, but that name isn't included can we use the name um we have we have license for the story can we use that name that's a very different ask from oh hey can we do the story of finrod and sauron and their song battle and no like that's a very totally different ask so um uh anyway um but uh but there we are so um uh anyhow we'll 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 see yeah uh Find us on Twitter if you guys have questions. So there were a couple questions about like getting things answered. You can always DM us or add us on Twitter, and we do actually retweet those. So especially after this episode, the, the episode four that's going to drop, if there's things that you're questioning about or want us to dig deep into, you know, we read those and, and it informs. So we're yeah. happy to engage with that. Um, Twitter Spaces, we do not have a podcast of that, but it will be on Corey's twitter feed yep so you can there, but there will be a podcast of that right we're gonna grab that audio we're gonna grab the audio yeah yeah for those yeah um yeah we're trying to manage that it's hard rings and realms keeps us busy uh production wise during the weeks so it's hard for us to do too much more um but um but yeah yeah but it's we're gonna be a big gap between seasons so we're all over that there'll be plenty of time to go back and do stuff but uh yeah but I, anyway yeah meow indeed i see that too if don't, you don't have to go back, you don't to, have Twitter to, go back to Twitter yeah, necessarily. Easy. There will be other so ways. It's one of the reasons why we want to take it out and produce it. It just means you're not going to get it at the at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, like Rings and Realms is on Instagram. It's you know we're on Reddit. It's, it's everywhere now. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Which King? That's exactly what, what what we're working on. Um, we're working on extracting the audio from that and from those and and putting them into our feed. We'll see. We'll see what we can do with that. But I think it, I think real progress was made on that today. So I think there's going to be some real movement on Rings and Realms podcast. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're 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 setting up a podcast <laughs> feed for Rings and Realms so people can have an audio version only of Rings and Realms. Um, so that's that's definitely a thing that's happening soon, very soon. And I'm hoping that. That audio from the Twitter uh, Spaces show will join it uh, fairly soon. So working on that. 
But in any case... Um, Remind everybody about tomorrow. Yeah, Cynthia Adai Robinson, who plays... Queen Regent Muriel is going to be joining me and Maggie tomorrow uh, at noon. So that'll be 18 hours from now. We'll be sitting down and talking with her. So um, uh, I, I, I hope you guys will be able to join us for that. Thank you for your questions and suggestions, even if we didn't acknowledge them. Um, uh, Phil, who is here with us, uh, has been collecting those. Uh, really appreciate that. So we'll be looking through that uh, and formulating our our question list of stuff to ask her. So uh, that'll be that'll be that'll be really fun. So anyway, thanks everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be on again tonight uh, for the watch party. If you want to join us, uh, join us on the Signum. Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash slash SignumU. I'll be doing a live watch party um, for episode four tonight um, while that's happening, and uh, we'll, um, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. So sleep fast, Maggie, because we'll be episodes on in six hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> you might not see me right at 5 a.m., but... <laughs> no worries. I'll, I'll speak to you soon. <laughs> no worries. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. All right. Take care.